Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. This time it's Monday, it's March 7th. Uh, I flew back yesterday from Daytona. I didn't feel great, I still don't feel great. I uh, just didn't get enough sleep uh, driving around Daytona and early flights and early mornings. So took the day off yesterday other than doing the Racer X Review Podcast and just tried to get some rest and uh, feeling coming around a little bit want to get this podcast out though and of course want to thank the sponsors of this podcast Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for making this possible and having my back uh, over the last few years. So we're on the third year of this podcast. 250 class, we'll jump right into it. Uh, it was kind of what I expected to see, to be honest. It was what I expected to happen in Arlington and kind of didn't. But Jet Lawrence won. Jet Lawrence is, in my opinion, the best rider in this class by quite a bit. And you have to remember he's only 18 years old. So it's probably going to get considerably uh, more in that direction. We also lost some of the competition. So we lost J-Mart. We lost Forkner. And that only made his job easier. So he had to deal with Cameron McAdoo, of course, who was your 2021 Daytona Supercross winner. And I was curious to see how Jet would bounce back from the adversity of last weekend. If you've really watched Jet over his, you know, the first few years of his career, it's been pretty calm. You know, he's never really faced backlash from the crowd. He's never really faced backlash from riders. He's always kind of kept it in his lane, so to speak, and he hasn't really made a lot of silly moves other than stuff where he's injured himself. You know, if you want to say that crash at Anaheim a couple years ago when he was trying to hold off Dylan Ferrandis, that's fine, but he only hurt himself there. You know, he just got a little bit uh, carried away on the last lap and, and went over the bars and the whoops, but moves where he's endangered other people or hurt someone else or been wildly out of control, that's really not been his, in his repertoire at all. So to kind of see that at Arlington multiple times was, it was different. And I wanted to see how he would handle a week where if he went online, if he went on social media, if he went on message boards, he was going to get some hate. And that's, that's a lot for an 18 year old to handle mentally and to be able to just quiet all of that, not worry about it and just go out and execute and do your job. And I really liked what I saw from him. He looked solid all day. He didn't look like he was rattled. He didn't look like he was letting any of that get to him. So kudos to him. Kudos to the people around him, agents, 
you know, American Honda, everybody that deals with Jet on a day-to-day -day basis, I thought they did a good job of helping him work through that because realistically at this level, that's the norm. There are going to be times where it's turbulent. There are going to be times where people don't like what you do and say, and that's just a part of being in the spotlight. And I can even say for me, having a podcast and, and writing articles and just the 1% that I get of it that somebody like Jet would, I deal with it, right? And But I'm also, I'm a lot older than him. I'm over twice as old as Jet is. So I, I have more experience with just shrugging some of that stuff off. And I'm nowhere even near the same level of spectacle that Jet's going to have to deal with. I just can see and understand the dynamic a little bit. Um, and, and I'm always curious because I think everybody handles those situations differently. Some people, they dwell on it, they let it really affect their mood, and they don't like it if other people disagree with how they handle things, or they just don't want people to be upset with them, and other people don't care at all. So it was impressive by Jet, good job from him, he got the job done, really uncontested win, and I think that's what we should expect from him moving forward. I think he will win more races than not if he doesn't take himself out, right? To me, he's the only person that can beat himself. I think he is the best rider in this class by quite a bit. So just watch for that. Uh, spoke on McAdoo a little bit. He kind of ground out a, a race here, uh, hurt his knee in the heat race, and I didn't know about that until afterwards, but kind of the same volatility that we've seen from McAdoo in the past where kind of up and down, he's a fighter though, and he will, he will grind his way to a good result. And he, and he had to do that on Saturday. It wasn't an easy race for him. I don't know if he's going to be able to beat Jet Lawrence in the series. I would say probably not, right? It is racing, so you never know. I don't, I'm certainly not counting him out. I mean, he was tied for the points lead going into this race. And as much as I am a Cameron McAdoo fan, I think he's just up against a juggernaut in Jet Lawrence. And that's just a really tough thing to have to deal with. Like he you might be dealing with the next coming of Ricky Carmichael or Ryan Villapoto or whoever, James Stewart. That's, that's the guy you got to try to beat in this series, and that's a really big ask. Styles Robertson, that's back-to-back -back second places at Daytona. He should be thrilled. You could tell how excited he was if you watched the race. You could see him fist-pumping and all that stuff. I mean, he just had to be over the moon with another, you know, his second podium, and it's his second, second place at Daytona. His starts are really the key. You know, he is riding well, don't get me wrong, but the starts are keeping him out of trouble. They're getting him to the front, and all he has to do is just put in laps at that point. You know, the pace is important. Like, he, he wouldn't be able to stay there if he wasn't going fast, but for a rider of his caliber, getting away from all of that drama behind him is so critical in this class. It is just, there's so much to be said for being able to just ride your own race in this 250 class. RJ Hampshire, in my notes, I just wrote dude twice because he cannot figure out how to not crash. He just can't do it. I don't think he's ever going to be able to do it. And I'm such an RJ fan. I've known him. I've been watching him ride since he was a little kid, right? He grew up about two hours south of me. I used to ride against his dad. He was, his dad was way older than me. But I've known about this kid and his story and his sister raced, you know, was a, a really good women's racer. So I'm cheering for him all the time. And, but I, when I watch him ride, I just shake my head because it's, 
unforced error after unforced error. And I know it's just from trying too hard. It's really simple to diagnose and I respect the effort. It's not like I have anything critical to say for him or to him, but at the same time, what you're after is the end result. And he is crashing himself out of podium after podium or even a chance to win some of these rounds because he's plenty fast enough. But if, unless he can ever find a way to eliminate some of the mistakes, it's just not going to come. Not sustainably anyway. Maybe a good race, maybe a couple podiums in a row, but then he'll be right back to crashing. That's just what we've seen. And it's, and it's what we should expect. I hate to say that, but it's really what we should expect at this point. So overall in this class, I mean, it's Jets' title to lose. You know, and I would tell Cameron McAdoo, you know, affectionately called Whackers, I would tell him the same. You know, it's, it's a really tough situation you're up against to have to deal with somebody that I believe will be the next superstar of this sport in Jet Lawrence. Jet's going to have to beat himself. I don't think that anybody else can beat him straight up. Maybe one weekend one of these guys has an outlier ride, RJ, McAdoo, one of these guys, but on a week-to-week basis, I just don't think they can beat Jet. I just don't think they can do it. So our power rankings in the 450 class, I try to give a little bit of a uh, little bit of a clarification each week. This is a bigger picture look at the series. I do factor in week-to-week results. That does play a role, but this is more of a how do I slot you into the sport overall and that could be the last couple seasons that could be last year's lucas oil pro motocross championship that could be last year's supercross series coupled with some of the week-to-week variants that we see in this series as well and it's really more you know like if you look at like tennis right they have world rankings and it's not just the last tournament you played right it's a culmination you look at like pga championship it's a culmination there's a points system over time and that's kind of how I approach this. It's more of an eye test because we don't have that grand national championship type thing. We also don't have uh, a multi-year ranking type system. So this is kind of my eye test and this is kind of how I see it. So people freak out and like, how can you have that guy there? He got seventh last weekend. Well, I'm not victim of the moment from last weekend. I'm looking at it over months and years. So having said all that, number 10, I have Dean Wilson, and also I wanted to uh, preface this. If you're injured, if you're not racing, I'm taking you out right now because it's not fair to guys that are there week to week, and certainly you shouldn't be in there if you're not even racing at the moment. So if there are guys like Cincerello and some of these guys, of course they are great, and of course they're one of the best 10 riders, but they're not racing right now, so it's not relevant. So I don't have those guys in the series right now. So I mentioned number 10, Dean Wilson, and, and Dino is just a story of consistency. He is getting between 9th and 11th almost every single race. Time after time after time, he's there. Now, if you wanted to be critical, you could say, well, show me some speed. Show me some ability to run around 5th. I just don't know if he has it. I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if he's willing to take himself there because he has proven to himself that if he goes there and tries to consistently stay there, he's going to end up on the ground. That's what's going to happen. And a guy like Dean is very similar to a guy like Adam Cincerillo. If they crash, they're getting hurt. That's just what happens. It's not their fault. I don't know if it's because they're longer and lankier. I don't know the biology of that, if that is a factor. But it's proven that when they crash, 
they don't have the durability to, con to crash consistently and get up. Other guys do. That's great. Good for them. But these guys don't. And I think they've learned, well, Dino has learned that this is the limit. I can be safe and get between 9 and 11. If I try to go past that and I try to go over that edge to get further up the field, there is no longevity there. I will crash myself out of this series. So I think he's just made a conscious decision that this is what it is. I don't blame him. He makes a lot of money to do exactly what he's doing. What's going to be tough is next year when a bunch of guys move up into the 450 class and he is still trying to get a factory level ride with those results. And they also know that there's not a lot of upside. He's not going to take it to the next level. That's where it really gets dicey. So watch for that. And, and there will be, have to be decisions made by these teams. Do they keep him around knowing that, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth is about the best you're going to see? Number nine, Ken Roxon. And I mean, what do you say? I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what to make of this. This is not the same Ken Roxon we've been watching for a decade. It's just not. Is Kenny Ride better? Yes. Can he finish better? Yes. Is he going to? I'll be damned if I know. I don't know what to do with this. Uh, I, I really think it's probably time for a change. And, and I wasn't there a few weeks ago. I was kind of on the fence, like maybe they sorted out. You know, he, he's such a good ambassador for Honda. But I'm getting there quickly, man. I just don't think Honda can be happy with these finishes. And I also don't think Kenny's happy with the bike at all. And I don't know if that's fair because this is the same bike he had last year that he was a force in this series on. But clearly, something's not going well. And I just don't know how much more either side is going to want to go down this road, right? Because Kenny's not cheap. Kenny is a multi-million dollar signing for teams. Like, it's not like they can get him on the cheap and say, well, he's worth it because he's Ken Roxon. His agent knows that he is Ken Roxon. He knows that he can win. He knows what he's capable of, and he's going to demand as close to top dollar as he can. I don't know how Honda can justify paying him top dollar right now. A different team like KTM, that's still a Red Bull-oriented team, because make no mistake, he will be affiliated with Red Bull. Maybe Roger or Pitt Buyer or you know, John Hines or Robert Jonas or whoever is making the call at, at KTM, maybe they could say, well, if we get him, we, you know, transform him back, we get his confidence back, then we have a winning level rider again, and he is worth top dollar again then. I don't know. You also have to factor in, does Cooper Webb stay? Would Cooper and Kenny be okay being teammates? I don't know. That's, that's a really tough ask. I don't think so. I don't think that works. But maybe Cooper leaves. Maybe Cooper goes to Honda. Maybe Kenny goes to KTM and everybody's happy. You get to start over. That's a possible solution. Do I, have I heard that possibility? No, I don't know. Everyone's super tight-lipped on where these guys are going to sign. But make no mistake, a lot of riders are up. Cincerillo's up. Ferrandis is up. Uh, I think Jason Anderson only has a one-year deal. Webb is up. Roxon's up. You know, there, there is going to be a lot of moving around. Dean Wilson's up. Uh, so just watch for a lot. There's going to be a big game of musical chairs. The elite guys don't have to worry about not having a chair. But if they want to go a certain place, like if Webb's like, man, I want to be a Honda, he is going to have to be aggressive because I think Ferrandis is in that talk. 
Maybe Kenny wants to stay there, right? Maybe Cincerola wants to go to Honda. So all those guys are going to be jockeying around a little bit. And they have to be, have to be careful to not overplay their hands. So just watch for the Roxon thing. See where it plays out. He is arguably the most marketable guy in the sport still. So he's going to end up somewhere if he wants to race. Number eight, I have uh, Marvin Muscan. And Marvin might be one of the most puzzling guys in the sport right now because Kenny, I kind of have a grip on what's going on or a grasp on it. I think he's just lost all confidence in the bike and that's showing up on race day. Marvin, I don't know. I really don't, don't know because he, I think he can go fast enough to win, but he also can go slow enough to get 10th. And I don't see any real difference in why. I've seen tracks with easy whoops and he doesn't do well. I've seen tracks with really difficult whoops and he did well. The whoops weren't the strong suit of that, but he was able to overcome it. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's just you get a lot more volatility in your results because you're, in, you're older now. Maybe that's part of it. But something is up with Marvin, and honestly, I expect more. Um, it's just kind of blah for me right now. There are flashes of brilliance, but as far as consistency, Marvin being a, I don't want to say a title threat, but being in the conversation, he's just not there. He is not there right now. Number seven, I have Justin Barsha. Weird race, right? Like He was great at the beginning, and... I was like, man, Barsha might get in there and, and try to win this thing. Like, realistically, I thought that because you just saw him hanging around. Like, he was as fast as the leaders, and then he dropped way back. So I don't know if he got tired. Maybe the track kind of went away from him. That can happen at Daytona where you have these lines and you're dialed in, and then when the track changes, you aren't able to adapt with it. Maybe the bike, your bike is super stiff, the track gets super rough and you can't ride that track as well as it deteriorates. That's a pretty common Daytona occurrence. Or maybe he just, maybe got winded. Maybe he was pushing too hard at the beginning trying to go with that Tomac group and maybe blew himself up. There's a bunch of different things that could have happened. But what I know is that he fell back and wasn't able to hold that. And then he fell into the, to the clutches of uh, Dylan Ferrandis as well. Number six, I have Ferrandis. Fourth place on the night, good job from him. But again, and I sound like the biggest broken record ever, and that's, a, that's an old reference for you younger kids that listen to this. A broken record, when it's playing and it, it breaks, it just does the same thing over and over. It plays the same note over and over and over and over. That's what I sound like talking about Dylan Ferrandis because it's the same. Bad start, great riding, decent result. Just rinse and repeat. Same thing week after week. And there is going to be no change in that until Ferrandis figures out the first couple laps. If he ever comes around the first lap in second or third, the sky's the limit. He can win. He can podium. He probably will do one of those two things. But if you start 10th or 12th or 9th or 15th, which he's doing every single week, good luck to you because you got to deal with guys that are on – they're firing on all cylinders, Mookies and Andersons, even Barsha. You know, he ended up getting Barsha, but there are so many guys that are riding so well right now that you are now asking yourself, okay, not only do I have to pass them and beat them, I got to go chase them down from two straightaways back or five seconds back, whatever, you know, whatever the situation may be, that's a lot to ask. You know, we're not talking about Dylan Frannis, who is multi-time Supercross champion. We're talking about Dylan Frannis, who... Even, I think he would even tell you Supercross isn't his strength. He is good. So you're asking him 
to pass all of these prior race winners to get to the front from behind. It's just a really tough dynamic that he's putting himself in time after time. And I thought a fourth place is really good, but I also think that if you gave him a top three start, you would really have a chance at success. You know, I think, I absolutely think he could be in that battle with Webb and Tomac. Now, I, don't, I haven't looked at the lap times, but I don't also, I also don't think that the lap times would tell the, the story because he's in traffic. So he's not able to really stretch his legs and see what he's capable of. Uh, but it's just the same story. And it doesn't matter to me. I don't have a vested interest in Dylan Ferrandis, but it's got to be frustrating for him knowing he can be so much better than this. Number five, uh, Malcolm Stewart. And he could have won, man. <sighs> Listen, I'm trying to think of the right way to approach this because I think he has taken gigantic steps forward in his racing. And I think that's partially why you're seeing him make bad decisions is because he knows that he's able to be at the front now. He knows that he can win. He knows he can podium. So when he's getting into these crashes with Anderson, and it was a case of mistaken identity, he didn't know that Anderson didn't come in there and just smash him out of the way at Daytona like he did at Arlington. He just was seeing red and went after Anderson with everything he had. I mean, wide open down the side of the track and then smashes Anderson they both go down, not the smartest move, but at the same time, I understand why he did it. But I think that anger and frustration is born out of, he knows where he's at in his racing ability and, and everything is so much more possible than it used to be. Because I think if you were Mookie a couple years ago and you're like, man, I just wanna get you know, six, seven, eight, like that's where I slot in. I just want solid results. I don't wanna hurt myself. You know, I just need to get some consistency. I don't think you would see that wild of a reaction, but when Mookie feels like he can win and it's just time after time, something's happening to take you out of that and you're going to run out of opportunities. That's when I think he gets super pissed because he's up front. He got the start. He's in second place. And then, Oh, boom, you're knocked off the track again. Last week, Arlington, you're winning one of the races. Boom. You get knocked down. That's where I see that. I think that crazy anger comes in. So, Mookie just needs to stay the course. He just needs to keep getting the good starts. The riding is there. The fitness is there. All the, the aspects are there. And from everything I know about this sport, if, if the riding is there and the fitness is there, and you continue to put yourself into plus situations like he is, like the Arlington start, the Daytona start, it will work out eventually. One of these times, you're not going to get knocked down. You're not going to get knocked off the track, and the result is going to be there. So just... Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, the variance and volatility and all those things calm down at some point. As long as you're not the one causing it, which we'll get to kind of with Anderson. But I think Mookie is doing all the right things. Chase Sexton, number four. He was really good, right? Solid, good job, podium finish, all those things. Just not quite there. Like, he needs like 1% more. And I don't know if he's holding back a little bit or if it's just... Everything he's got is just not quite on the level yet. Um, there's nothing wrong with a podium at Daytona. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I thought he was going to win the race going in. I, I really did. Um, but I think for him to go win, he's got to take some chances. He's got to really push the edge. And I don't think he really wants to. I think he's in that weird place in between 
man, I want to go win, but I also want to finish. I don't want to crash myself out of the lead like I did at Minneapolis. And he has at other times in his career too. So, you know, the like A1, right? He probably wins A1 if he doesn't crash. Maybe he doesn't have enough for Roxham, but I think he would have. But if you crash yourself out of the race, that's not doing any good either. So he's in this like no man's land of the podium's right there. That's a really good result. But I also can see the win right in front of me. But to go after that win, the chances of getting a DNF go exponentially up. So I, I think it's fine. I have him at four. Um, he's learning, right? He's still young. He has his everything in front of him as far as future and championships and race wins. So maybe he's doing the right thing. Maybe he's learning and consolidating his, his skill set a little bit right here before he tries to take that next leg up. Number three, uh, I have Cooper Webb. And gosh, you can't get much closer to winning Daytona than that. You know, I, racing stuff happens. He practices with Shane McElrath all the time. I'm sure Shane felt awful. I can't even imagine him having to go talk to anyone from KTM after that because it was just like the worst situation ever. You know, Shane assumed that someone would try to pass him from on the outside. Webb was up the inside. Shane didn't know it. Um, it's just a bad deal, man. It wasn't intentional, of course, but in the end, it cost Webb any chance. I don't know if Cooper would have held him off or not, right? I could make a case for both sides. I could make a case that Tomac is the best late race aggressor ever, and it would have been next to impossible to hold him off. I could also make the case that Cooper Webb is one of the craftiest late racers ever, and he would have found a way to outsmart Tomac. Both sides of that are equally true. I don't have a bias on that at all. But us as fans, as spectators, everybody was robbed of, you know, a battle, a a last lap fight to the finish between two of the titans of the sport. We all got robbed of that, which sucks. That's, That's a real bummer. Number two, Jason Anderson. Uh, I think he deserves to be two. I think the riding is still indicative of a being number two. But I'll tell you, the decision-making is not. Uh, the decision-making will take him right out of this championship if he, if he keeps it up. Listen, there's too much drama in his racing. There's just too much noise around what he's doing. And I've been saying this all year on this show and other shows championships are not born out of chaos. They are born out of smart decisions, being wise. You know, if you don't have it that corner, if you don't have it that race, fight to live another day. You know, just maybe sometimes being one spot less on the results column is okay. You don't have to go and make contact. You don't have to force the issue every single time because there's 17 rounds. There's so much opportunity in this series to get get the job done, allow other people to make mistakes. Because right now, everything around Jason Anderson's racing is dramatic. It's dramatically good riding. That's fair. He is riding the best I've ever seen him ride. But there's drama with Mookie. There's drama with, uh, you know, Justin Barsha at the first round. It's just drama after drama after drama with different riders. And that doesn't In the end, that doesn't pay off. That is not something that you want to be look back and say, man, what a chaotic month it's been. That's not how championships are won. Championships are won out of calm, 
week after week results and predictability. Now you need to be at the front, you need to win, you need to do all those things, but I would point to guys like Webb and Tomac and these guys. Even in Roxon, where he's been his best has been calmness, just sustainability, stay out of first turn crashes, stay out of uh, contact situations where people owe you one. When was the last time you saw somebody owe Tomac one? It doesn't happen. And I like to use Tomac as my example and maybe too much, but he's the poster boy for that. No one's ever mad at him. No one ever feels like they need to go in and blast Tomac out of the way because Tomac doesn't take cheap shots. He doesn't give people reason to be mad at him. They can envy him. They can want to beat him. Maybe they want to make contact just because they're sick of getting beat by him, but it's never like a vengeful thing where they're like, I owe that dude one. He's not winning this championship because he dirtied me three weeks ago. That's how people look at Jason Anderson. And I just don't believe that championships come out of that. That doesn't mean he can't win it, right? He, he's certainly in this championship. I just don't believe that drama and championships mesh well. That is a losing combination over time. Doesn't mean it can't happen once, just over time, you continue to be caught up in that mix. It doesn't pan out as well as being just smooth and calm and predictable. Number one, Eli Tomac, pretty obvious that he deserves to be here. Six wins at Daytona. That's amazing. Uh, you could argue that it was damn close to seven, you know, the year Brayton beat him, but Brayton deserved to beat him. Brayton got it done. So Tomac has six. I mean, he caught a break with the Webb thing, you know, McElrath and Webb, but he had to be there to capitalize because it was like a couple of seconds, right? And if Eli hadn't kept the pressure up, he wouldn't have got by him in that moment. Like, it's not like Webb crashed. He just lost time there and Tomac just flew right by. And, and that's a, that's a, you know, why people always say you got to keep the pressure on, you got to stay there, you got to try to force a mistake. Even on a guy like Webb who doesn't really make mistakes, it doesn't have to be his fault. Someone can just get in the way and make him come to a stop. And if you're keeping the pressure on and you are ready for that moment to happen, that's what happens. Like Tomac just went right by. It, it only took a split second and Tomac was just gone and Webb's, Webb was completely deflated in that moment. So good job for Tomac. I don't think it was like his most impressive Daytona ever by any means. Uh, it wasn't a good day for him. He was nowhere near the top of the board in practice qualifying. I didn't think he looked all that great all afternoon. It really had me questioning whether he was going to win this thing or not. But in the end, he got it done. He overcame adversity. He overcame, I'm sure he was doubting himself a little bit in the afternoon. And he found a way to get it done. And when you look back, if he, is, if he does end up being champion of this series, you look back on nights like that where he didn't look great. He didn't seem like he was just on this unstoppable form like we've seen Tomac at, especially at Daytona. But in the end, guess what? We look up at the end of the night and he wins on a night where Jason Anderson had a bunch of issues, right? He capitalized to the absolute maximum points-wise on a night where Jason Anderson had a lot of problems. So that's your power rankings. Uh, overall, you know, I, I think this is Tomac's pretty clearly his championship to lose. There's a lot of racing left. I think Jason Anderson will win more races. He will bounce back. But just like we talked about, Anderson could put himself in a hole at this race, and he certainly did. Not only that, he got penalized another position after the race, you know, just only making matters worse. 
So if you're Anderson, you got to come back and you got to win this weekend. You have to go to Detroit and go win to get the ball rolling back your direction and change the narrative. Because if Tomac wins again, man, there's just a lot of momentum going that way. And it's just going to get more and more difficult because Tomac doesn't really throw races away. Maybe he has a bad night and gets a fifth, but he's not a guy that gets that DNFs or does really stupid stuff. He just doesn't hand over gobs full of points. It's not really in his game so much. So you're going to have to take the fight to him if you're Anderson. Maybe he gets aggressive with, it, with Tomac. I don't recommend it because you're already, the AMA is already staring at you, waiting for you to do something like that, and they will penalize him for doing something like that. But I could see Anderson thinking, I've got to do something to get some points back quickly. And if that means getting aggressive with Tomac, so be it. Uh, I did want to mention a couple things on um, MXGP and MotoGP. Geyser wins again uh, after a really good ride from Prado in, the, uh, in race one. of uh, They were in Mantova for the ninth time in a year. But... I think Geiser's still the guy to beat. And you look at, you know, Prado crashes in the second race. And I think that's just what you're going to see. You'll see how guys, guys have good motos. Koldenhoff will come to the front at some point. Seaware will be there. Prado will be there. Uh, and, and who knows who else? You know, some of these other guys can have one-off good races. But I think time after time, Geiser will be near the front. And if he, if he doesn't win and somebody else has a, a breakout ride, oh, wait, Geiser's still on the podium where these other guys will be three, five, seven, nine, because they just don't have the upper end speed and they don't have the ability to overcome a bad start or a crash and still get there. They can't still get to the podium like Geiser can. I'm really surprised by Renault. I have to mention that. I wasn't big on this decision by Renault to race the MXGP class. I actually thought it was a mistake. I thought he should have stayed in MX2 and gone for back-to-back titles, but he is proving me wrong. And I think other people were kind of in the same camp. So good for Renault. He, he's riding incredibly well. Uh, and I'm interested to see kind of how he develops because he's early in this MXGP, right? It's only a couple races in and I think his best days are still in front of him, but he's pretty damn good. He's better than I would have thought. Uh, MX2 class, I mean, kind of what we expected other than Vial's volatility. You know, Geertz is better than he's been in a long time, so, so kudos to him. But Vial is really the one that's kind of screwing it up here. He, would, to me, was the runaway favorite for, for this championship. And normally, Vial is a guy that doesn't crash. He doesn't make mistakes. He's a great starter, gets out front, and kind of does his thing. And I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know if it, maybe it's just a couple of bad weeks. But it's been a little bit off form for Vial. So he needs to get back to his normal self, get the starts, stay out front, stay out of trouble, and just do his thing. I also wanted to mention uh, the MotoGP race this weekend. So kind of the trifecta. We had Supercross, MXGP, and MotoGP. And then Formula One's about to kick off here too. So it's we're going to have all, all, all the racing. It's pretty awesome. I'm not a NASCAR fan, so if you are, I know like Zach Osborne is super into it. It's just not my thing. Uh, so there's, there's NASCAR as well. But for MotoGP, they were at the first round at Qatar, or Qatar, however you want to say it. But it's one of my favorite sports on earth, and there's so much parody in, in uh, excuse me, MotoGP right now. And I have some of my favorites. Jack Miller I'm good friends with. He had a just god-awful weekend. His electronics went out, and he had to DNF the race. 
but I'm a, I'm a gigantic Mark Marquez fan as well. And I wanted to see what Mark would do if he wasn't quite fast enough, if he was moving backwards, would he be able to keep his ego in check? Would he be able to accept that? Because in the past, he hasn't been able to. He would just throw the race away, take big chances, push the front tire too much, and that cost him. It put him out of championships. It almost cost him his career. So I really loved to see him be willing to settle because there will be plenty of races where he doesn't need to settle. He's going to go win. No one will be able to touch him. But if you're not the best guy that day, if you need to be willing to take a top five finish, will you do it? And he did. So good for him. Uh, we saw the emergence of a new superstar in Enea Bastianini. Just an incredible ride. If you followed that Grassini racing story, the owner and founder of it passed away last year due to COVID. And they kept the team going. Bastianini goes out there and, and gets a win for that team at the opener of all places. Just a, a really feel-good, heartwarming story for them on that. Uh, he's on a GP21 Ducati, so he's on a year-old machine. Uh, but that bike looked damn good. So I would bet that guys like Pecco Bagnaia, uh, Bagnaia and Jorge Martin ended up on the ground, which is pretty crazy. That, that really had to be a tough blow for Ducati, um, seeing Pecco go down there. Um, but when you look at the overall situation, those guys are probably wondering, man, is that 21 bike better than the 22? Jack Miller's bike fails completely due to electronics. But anyway, at least Ducati got the win after a really her horrific day. KTM really struggled in off-season testing. And then guess what? They show up and get second at the first round. I personally think that was a big surprise. I don't think they expected to be very good, especially at, at the Qatar track, which is really fast. It's not typically a great track for KTM. But Bender got it done. Bender rode, uh, I think he was eighth maybe in qualifying and rode to the front and kind of was unchallenged up there other than Bastianini passing him. He stayed there kind of the whole time. He was able to pass Marquez. He was able to hold off the Suzukis. So good job from, uh, from Bender. Um, I really like that KTM story. They're putting so much effort into MotoGP and it. it's cool to see when people try that hard and are willing to spend excessively to see them find some success. So really interesting race. I think it's gonna be a pretty great season for MotoGP. I don't think it's gonna be a runaway by anybody. Um, you feel for Ducati because you felt, if, if anybody was gonna come in and dominate the series, I think Ducati was set up to do it. They have so much talent and their bike is just incredible, or at least it was at the end of last year. Now they have to ask some hard questions about that 22 bike versus the 21. Um, because the 21, they were just dominating everything. Like they swept the last round of the series on that 21 GP. Uh, so maybe, maybe they took a step backwards with the bike, right? I'm sure Gigi Delinia and all the guys at Ducati are probably kind of scratching their heads, looking over at that Grassini bike and, and wondering if maybe they need to incorporate some of the 21 aspects into the 22. It is a strange track, it's at night. There's a lot of strange dynamics for the first round, so maybe they shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it's always tough when you see a bike that is a year old that you believe to be, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, obsolete, there we go. You look at that bike and you're like, that's not even a bike we wanna race anymore, and it just won the race. Uh, anyway. That's it for this week. Thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to Pirelli. Thank you to Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding. Get your house refied. Rates are going up literally by the day. They're going up. Fast Foundry, 
Go check out fastfoundry.com, get your business more efficient. Just ask questions, right? If you're wondering like, hey man, federal interest rates are going up, we need to borrow some money, what's the best thing we can do? We need to make sure our business is as lean, as efficient as possible. We could be going into a recession right now. I mean, there are, there are a lot of people that would tell you we're absolutely going into a recession right now. You have the, the yield curves that are uh, flattening. They haven't gone inverse yet, but they're flattening. That's not a good sign for those of you who don't know a lot. Like, there are a lot of warning signs telling us we're heading towards a recession. So get your business dialed in. Get your house refied. If you need to buy something, do it quickly. Uh, also check out that uh, Pirelli MX32 Midsoft Mini Tire. Guts Racing, obviously sponsoring uh, Styles Robertson this weekend on that podium finish. Works Connection, get that Pro Launch Start device. Guess what? They're whole shining like crazy still. That's what they do. That's what the Pro Launch Start device was, is, and does. And the best thing about it is really easy to install. There are some, competi some competitors' products out there that, man, you really need to be, almost need to be a full-fledged mechanic to install them. That's the upside of the Pro Launch Start device is ease of install is industry-leading. Grandstone Boots, go check out grandstone.com, at Grandstone Boot on Instagram. Uh, they have a great line of products. I try to post them whenever I get to step out for the night because, honestly, they make me look great. ProGlow, use the promo code MOTO15, the ProGlow, ProGlow Wash. They have some new products coming out as well. They have a degreaser. Um, so just keep your eye on the ProGlow guys. They are uh, they're taking some big steps forward. And if you're not familiar with their product, give it a shot. They have, uh, if, just reach out to me. Maybe I can get you a sample product or something. But I think using a product that's specifically built for power sports, as far as your wash goes, I think is a big deal, right? You have that weird filmy residue that like chain lube leaves and some of the weird, you know, track uh, soils that we see. That ProGlow wash is specifically designed to get that off there. Last but not least, Fly Racing. I am actually at the office right now recording this. Uh, so check out flyracing.com. We will have our mesh gear coming out in the next month or two, uh, which will give us a new product line to feature and get you ready for summer as well. So thank you to everybody. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week.